I am deeply concerned as to the direction of this country. 2022 of the midterm elections, they are the litmus test. They are the turning point for this country one way or the other. We've got to change the conversation. This is kind of what they do. They structure these um, these settlement agreements so that you can't um, continue to pursue a corporation for the same purpose, for example, or even a new purpose. Things should be voluntary from corporations. And um, it seems like to me that the amount of social harm that can be done, and when social harm is done, that, and again, this is more philosophic in, in maybe in that way, um, we don't seem to see forms of, of justice that, that could be done. If the amount of money in the fine is not a large enough amount to deter the activity, they just continue to do business. But maybe what we're talking about here is trying to determine if, in fact, there's any type of criminal culpability so that they're prosecuted. That would be the way that we would deter them from continuing this activity. Now, I have to ask everybody a question. When they load bus buses and planes and they drop them in cities like Scottsdale and Nashville, Tennessee and other cities throughout the United States, when they get off the bus or the plane, where are they going and what are they doing? Where are they sleeping? How are they making gainful employment? Hello, everyone. My name is Lou Palumbo. This is Between the Lines. As always, there's never a shortage of rather controversial issues that need some level or form of addressment. Questioning as to why we're doing this, it's a very simple mission. It's about our children and their future and this country that they're going to have to grow up in and navigate at some point in time during their life. Topics today, I suspect everyone, if they have anything that projects a screen like a television, you're aware of is what's going on at the border here. It's, it's just incomprehensible. Um, we've gone from a condition of stating that there's no issue at the border to suddenly realizing, I guess through divine intervention, that we have a very serious problem at the border and that our assets and our resources are overrun and we just can't seem to manage this. As I understand it right now, figures are in excess of 10,000 people who have migrated from Haiti into the Del Rio area of Texas. So today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a caller, David, who will be calling in shortly. And I'm certain he's going to have a very stimulating and interesting question. So whenever you're ready, David, please feel free to call us. Here he is. Hello. Hello, this is David. David, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, Lou. Glad to hear your voice. I, If I recall, sir, you are a prior caller from Las Vegas, and you were involved in projects uh, designed to help feed children. Is that correct, David? That That is partially correct. Okay. So f- fill in the rest of the blanks, sir. Uh, I'm sorry? Fill in the rest that I missed. Oh, yeah. So I actually, since our last call... I uh, took a road trip across America, uh, ended up in uh, North Carolina. I'm currently living in Charlotte, and uh, I um, got other projects in the work. And so hopefully at the end of this, I can talk a little bit about some of those projects and how people can contact me. Absolutely. But, absolutely. Yeah. Charlotte, interesting city, second largest banking uh, capital in our country, mm-hmm. went through a massive uh, expansion and growth starting around 1980 moving forward. I have a little familiarization with it because my my mother and father, my dad, retired and relocated to Charlotte with my sister, who was in the school system there teaching. 
Mm-hmm. Good city. Interesting city. So yeah. you have a question today, David? I sure do. And uh, this harkens back to uh, that, that call that we had because, again, I took a road trip across America and I've had eight states that I had to drive through, through which I thought about asking you the, the next question. And this harkens back to one where uh, something that you, you you mentioned where you said, hey, um, uh, for issues of public policy in certain areas, uh, corporate uh, involvement should be voluntary in some ways, right? You can't force people. I do uh, believe do that, that, David. That yes, is correct. Yes. So um, I had a lot of questions that came up and a lot of things that I thought about, but I wanted to ask you an interesting question that hopefully would lead to a larger conversation based after that premise. So, and this will harken back to also hopefully your experiences on NYPD and also your uh, undergraduate degree in philosophy. So while you were, while you were working with uh, the New York police department, did you or any other officer that you know of ever arrest a corporation for a crime? No, not an individual, not a series of individuals or a small business but a corporation. And, and the answer is no. And the reason the answer is no is because that's under the auspices of the federal government, for example. They okay. would be involved um, investigating any corporate impropriety, what they refer to more commonly as white-collar crimes. Exactly. They have locked up a whole lot of people in corporate America and continue to do so. Um, you're probably familiar with the RICO Act, which they developed yes. uh, during, right? So it, was, it was really yes. designed to address organized crime in New York, and it was quite effective. Mm-hmm. Rudy Giuliani was the U.S. attorney. But um, corporate America is not something that was under the purview of local law enforcement. We might participate in as much as to pass along information to our federal agencies and regulatory agencies, by the way, that might impact their uh, determination as to whether or not they would pursue them legally. But as a law enforcement group, myself individually, Never was involved in arresting corporate America. Now, I do want to give you one exception to that, and that would be unless someone in corporate America committed a crime that was, um, how would you say, outside of the purview of the federal government, like a sexual assault or certain types of robberies. Right, Um, right. There are instances, so we're clear, that if corporate America were to involve themselves in some form uh, or individuals in a corporation, and I had this experience um, embezzlement might mm-hmm. might end up in the lap of a DA in a city, a municipality. But as a rule, especially with the, a sign, the uh, size of uh, these these activities with corporate America, that would come under the federal government. So, but actual corporations, though, are you aware of any instance where the charter, the corporation itself, was taken into custody? No. No. Yeah. Yeah, and the the reason I ask this is because what I was thinking about um, on this long road trip I had, and not a whole lot to look at, <laughs> um, was um, you know a, the corporations get a lot of benefits. Um, in fact, a lot of even the I would say the rights of of individuals in our society. Right? I mean, everything from speech, uh, they get a lot of political representation through influence. Uh, they get a lot of these rights that we have except for actual voting right so the individuals who make up the corporation can vote but the corporation itself doesn't actually vote um but they don't have a lot of the let's say sticks or let's uh say accountability that a normal u.s citizen does right no uh, that isn't no. correct sir it's a different accountability 
the, their accountability, as I mentioned earlier, is that they must conform with certain, certain guidelines. For example, if you look at Wall Street, which is a corporate mm-hmm. environment, there's the Security and Exchange Commission. They must comply with all rules and mandates of SEC. The difference is who we're accountable to. In other words, if you steal as an individual, you're more than likely to deal on a local level with a a law enforcement agency, a municipality, possibly state, and a Mm -hmm. local district attorney. If a a corporation involves in some type of uh, illegal activity, it would be investigated more than likely on a federal level, and hence they would be pursued and prosecuted if it were to happen, in fact, on a federal level. So, But who's prosecuted? Uh, it would be the, the chairman and CEO. They'd start right at the head of the food chain, believe it or not. Right. The expression is the fish thinks from the head down. That's where they would start. Yes. And through a process of elimination, if they determined that the chairman, CEO, or chief operating officer, for example, COO, were not complicit, but there was a subordinate that was, then they would target that subordinate based on Mm -hmm. the nature of activity. And then they would also go back to determine if in fact any of that activity was carried out with the knowledge of a superior, if you understand where I'm going with this. In other words, someone doesn't necessarily have to have their fingerprints on it directly, but if you knew it was going on and you failed to report, for example, or if it's a publicly held company, you are remiss in informing your shareholders this, there's a liability attached to that. Um, the question is, what would that translate to? Would it be fines? Would it be imprisonment? Would it be both? You know, that's something that would ultimately be determined uh, and measured against how egregious the offense was. So, but yes. to go back to your to your question, um, every 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 the thing, David, is this: every set of circumstances, every incident stands on its own merit, and when you start mm-hmm. to shake it loose, you start to identify more clearly where. Um, where these particular activities belong most specifically. Are they something that are violation of federal law? Oftentimes, David, I'm sure you're aware, you violate federal law and local law at the same time. I'll give you an example. Uh, no, traffic, trafficking narcotics. Yes. A lot of times um, the federal government will uh, defer to a municipality, state or local, to prosecute in that instance. Sometimes, depending on the nature of the activity, we defer to the federal government because their uh, punishments are more stringent. So you see, they get into this whole thing about what's happening on every level, every instance, and they start to you know, put their heads together and figure out what's the best course of action, where they're going to get the most traction, the best result. Sometimes if you're prosecuted locally, depending on the nature of the crime, you'll get a heavier sentence. Sometimes, depending on the nature of the crime or the criminal activity, and there's a lot of things that influence that also. It's just not that blanket a statement. It's yeah. those things that will influence. You might get a, a stiffer approach from the federal government. So that's um, that's part of, of what drives this. So so the, the, the bigger issue here, uh, and I, I yes, thank you very much for, for detailing all of this out. Um, and especially you, you talked about drug trafficking. So I don't know if you're following the Purdue Pharma uh, case, the Stackler family. No, no, I'm not. The people behind the opioid crisis. So, and this also gets. I'm familiar into other, with it, but I'm not following it. There. Yeah. So I mean, it was it was it was something that uh, I worked on an opioid recovery project, you know, back in uh, t- uh, 2018, 2019 in Las Vegas, and so something a little dear, near to near and dear to my heart here. But um, 
you know, the Stackler family, and this gets into the larger issue about accountability, right? How does this happen? And then, and perverse incentives. So Purdue Pharma is going through bankruptcy in a sense. Uh, they're not in a sense, in a real, real way. They're going through bankruptcy right now. Um, but the Stackler family uh, cut a deal that they're immune to future prosecution after they, they do a, a payout. So it doesn't, I mean, that's not unusual. Of dollars. That, it's that's, not unusual, right? Yeah, yeah, that's not unusual. That's all what they call part of a settlement agreement. In yes. other words, they, you know, the, you know what double jeopardy is, where you can't be prosecuted yes. for the same crime same twice, crime quote twice. unquote. Yeah, this yeah. is kind of what they do. They structure these um, these settlement agreements so that you can't um, continue to pursue a corporation for the same purpose, for example, or even a new purpose. I did want to right. mention one thing to you. There is apparently uh, something referred to as the Park Doctrine. It refers to the responsibility of corporate o- corporate officers commonly referred to in this doctrine that permits the government to prosecute employees for corporate misconduct when they are in a position of authority and they fail to prevent or correct a violation, for example, of Food, Drug, mm-hmm. Cosmetic Act, F- FDCA. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I'm not an attorney, but that's kind of a summation of, of what that, that law is. But again, I go back and, and I say that every one of these cases stands on its own merit and depending on how many cards you're holding, for example, and I could speak to you, uh, for example, with the Lewinsky case, Monica was my client. No, you know, what it comes down to is positioning. Yeah. If you yeah. have if you have chits and you can start to position or negotiate, you know, depending on which side of the fence you're sitting, you might have more leverage than not. I had a case in, in California with a major corporation with an embezzlement by an employee. Um, to tell you the story quite quickly, I won't tell you the name of the entity, but they're in El Segundo and they're big. Uh, they caught the embezzlement about $500,000. And um, I was going back and forth to New York, like uh, L.A., excuse me, like a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. And I, I spoke to him in New York. I got on a plane board and went to the corporate office. So I gave him what they call the good news, bad news. I said, you know, you have some good news, some bad news. Here's the good news. You hit the threshold, $500 million. You'll get some traction with the federal government, this, that, and the other thing. Here's the bad news. You caught the tip of it. When they were finished, it was a little over $2 million. And here's where the deal came in, right? So now we're looking at, do we really want to be embarrassed by this to look like we've been sleeping at the wheel in this publicly held company? The deal was this. They went to the perpetrator of this offense and they made a deal with him. And they said, um, if you return the amounts of money you haven't spent yet, we will waive prosecution. And that's how they resolved that issue. So every one of these circumstances stands on its own merit. And um, unless you're what they call a willing um, witness, for example, you don't want a hostile witness, these corporations mm-hmm. want to cut their own deal with this individual. This was a specific type of case, but what it lends itself to is the ability to bargain and negotiate your way out of a rather tumultuous situation, which this individual was because you realize the level of embarrassment here. So look, right. we're going to go to a break. I'm going to thank our sponsors, by the way, Instacart and Buzzsprout. We're going to speak to them a little bit later, but they're very, very user-friendly mechanisms, and we're going to be right back. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show, and to learn more about them, go to ourbetweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly, and as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good, and as I said, we use them. Instacart 
Another interesting concept, you can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home, the comfort of your home. Just pick out the items you'd like. They'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to. Another great concept, very user-friendly, and I'll be honest, we use it also. It's very effective, and they're very, very good. They're very uh, on point. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Hello, this is Hans. Hans, how are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Good. Where are you, Hans? I am in Denver. What do you do? What do you do for a living, Hans, may I ask? Well, I've been in business... uh, I've been an entrepreneur, let's put it that way, all my life. And uh, I guess a uh, former school teacher, and uh, <laughs> that, you know, you can't raise three kids on a teacher's salary. So I got into business and uh, started a company when I first moved to Colorado, less than $100. And five years later, I had 100 employees, and I enjoy entrepreneurship and business. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's nothing like working for yourself. Where are you from down south? Because my mom was a southerner, and I can't help but. Hear it. I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Kansas. Oh, really? My mom was from Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in fact, you would uh, find it interesting. I grew up uh, as an Amish kid. I was oh, you uh, part of an Amish family. Interesting. Yep. Been to Kansas. Yeah, it was a great. Yeah. yeah, it was a great life. Yeah. So, what's on your mind today, sir? Well, uh, I guess Ryan had mentioned to you maybe about the fact that uh, you know, me being a business person, several years ago, oh, probably two years ago, I had some friends of mine that brought to my attention uh, this uh, outdoor sport, well, it can be used outdoor or indoor, uh, similar to what uh, the, uh, you know, most people have heard about the little table game called foosball. Right. Where you have a ping pong ball and you have some figurines and twist those and try to get that, uh, that ball into the hole. And they took that and made a... Uh, outside court and they brought to them attendees some Amish friends of mine and they brought them attention it was a very very exciting game and very popular with the Amish community I said you know nobody's marketing this and uh, I'm going to uh, see what uh, what it is and so anyway some of the guys said uh, you know how to build a business I said I think we can market this uh, who's fault and so I took a close look at it and even though <laughs> I was basically retired I said you know yeah, I think I think this has a tremendous potential. So we started manufacturing these foosball courts, and basically what it is is an outdoor court, or it can be done, like I say, indoors as well. <clears throat> it's 16 feet by 32 feet with a wall built around it, four feet high, and then we got six bars running across, and human beings actually take a hold of those bars, they slip back and forth, and they got to keep hold of those balls, and they kick the ball, a uh, soccer ball, try to score. That's basically what whose ball is. Interesting. So, so you, I do, wanna, you, yeah, you obviously, um, you breathed some life into this project, I gather. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I went ahead to trademark the name and everything else with it, formed the National Who's Ball Association. And so now we're uh, out, uh, we've identified 20, diff- 20, 20 to 30 different uh, market potential that's out there today, like schools and retirement communities and cruise ships and military bases and the list of the campgrounds, the list so, goes sounds on like on. you've been, um, sounds like, um, you've been successful in developing, uh, th- this business. But my, my question that I have for you is how was it, how did you manage this during COVID? Well, 
we had to, we had everything ready to go. I had my sales staff and my uh, office staff all set up, ready to go, just before the COVID struck, <clears throat> and uh, that was like a year and a half ago. And the very day that we had our first three courts scheduled to go into schools, that very same day, schools closed here in Colorado. Interesting. So we had to put a hold on it. Interesting. Yeah, but we're relaunching everything now. Interesting. Um, so that's how it affected us. Okay. So, so you know, let me let me ask you this, which is a pretty important question. You know, how much was involved in capitalizing this venture that you kind of suddenly uh, watch well, it go poof with the advent <laughs> of the virus? Well, let's put it that way. I had to put I had to put quite a bit of my own financing into it, and right now we're also working with some grants and with some foundations and so forth. And uh, uh, I I will probably be sinking uh, some pretty good money into it here in the next uh, couple of months. Are, are you going to back it yourself? I mean, let me ask you this, buddy. Uh, you know, you have a suggestion for anyone that's interested in um, building a business. And in particular, I ask this because we're in this this um, mode of overregulation, as you're probably aware. You know. Oh yes. You know, oh yes. This is quite. Now we're always concerned about that. Are you wearing masks uh, on your court? Do you mandate vaccines before you? No. No. Okay. Are you in compliance with Denver, <laughs> with the city? <laughs> What's compliance? Okay, that's uh, everything no. <laughs> is so contradictory. One day you hear this, and the next day you hear that. Yeah. You yeah. don't know what to believe. Yeah, yeah, we're having a hard time following a bouncing ball today. It's it, it's this the really interesting part about this thing is that the decisions being made uh, regarding um, what to do and when to do are all politically driven. This is all attached to an agenda that I don't think really has anything to do with the welfare of the citizenry of a particular uh, state. But um, you know, it's just politics, politics, politics. You're probably aware. Uh, California, I believe, is in a form of a lockdown. You can't go into any place unvaccinated. New York City's oh, doing terrible. the same thing. Yeah, well, it's entertaining. You know, uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure course. why people just go go out and get this damn vaccine because, in prior uh, experiences we've had with viruses and pandemics, and you know whether it was smallpox or typhoid, or mumps and measles, rubella, H1N1, uh, polio, we we developed a vaccine. We went and took it. Today, the American public doesn't know which way to turn, Hans. Should we take it? Should we not take it? It's all attached to political views. But I do want to say this. I do want to say this, truthfully speaking, and people can fact check this. The vice president during the primary said she wouldn't get involved with anything that President Trump was involved with in the development of a vaccine. And that resonates through the community. It's just this lack of responsibility with some of the people who are elected officials. Not that I'm pointing the finger at Kamala Harris in particular because she's in good company with a lot of knuckleheads. But the rhetoric was all wrong, Hans. I think you'll agree. And interestingly enough, it all circles back to you because it seems to have impacted you with this endeavor, this business endeavor you have. Am I correct? It is. And in fact, I had another business that was health related. I had to close it down because of uh, the COVID. What yeah, business? May, may I inquire not to over insinuate myself into your business, but what business was that? Well, we had a business uh, that we were doing tests on cancer and so forth. And I had a chiropractor and we had a massage therapist and, and several other uh, professionals that were operating out of there. But uh, because of the restrictions in travel and uh, office visitation and so forth, I just shut it down. I want to ask you this question, and this is a question that's just kind of resonating through the country. And coming from New York, it's it's quite interesting 
Uh, how are you? Uh, how are you doing hiring people? Are there people out there that are inclined to want to work? I mean, what's your experience? Well, it's uh, uh, we're not exactly sure, but one of the, uh, how how that's going to affect us in the long run, right here in Denver, I don't have any problem right now because we are building our, uh, our initial uh, hoosball courts. Uh, but we're projecting to build 150 to 200 courts a month within a year from now. And uh, because of my connections with the Amish community all over the country, uh, they're people that I can trust. They're people that uh, I know. I talk their language. And even though I'm not Amish myself uh, anymore, left that church uh, uh, culture many years ago, uh, I have a lot of connections around the country. And I, I don't think I'm going to have much of a problem getting uh, a workforce, uh, people huh? that can manufacture and workforce. Yeah, that's, that's critically important. What, what about yeah. the materials necessary to construct I mean, there's that no, was, there's no secret. I'm sorry, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, Hans, but no. there's no secret that you know the price of lumber, two by fours, you know, all the all these things necessary to build today have gone up dramatically since since Joe Biden's swearing in. I hate to lay it on him, and I'm not, but it's just, I guess, one hell of a coincidence. Um, you know what what's your uh, what's your what's your experience with that? I mean, what what are you looking at as far as material costs? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, our initial courts were made out of uh, lumber, but because of the price of lumber and so forth, it's just it's it's just as outrageous uh, what we were building for a year and a half, two years ago, versus what we can build today. So we've switched over now to building uh, our frames out of uh, aluminum and steel. Uh, and so on, and we can do it for a little bit more than what uh, we were building for at that particular time. But the costs certainly have risen, and it's it's more as well. And uh, when we build a court, we want to make sure we build it with a high quality into it. I want and, to ask uh, you a question, if I can, Hans. Yeah. Uh, not to put you on the spot, and you can elect not to um, to get into this, but you're obviously aware of what's going on in the borders right now in our major cities. Oh yes. And, I mean, oh, yes. you know. Uh, you and I, I have a feeling generationally are pretty close. I was born in the early fifties. Um, what, what, what's your, what's your take on the border? What's your feeling about the border? Well, I think it's disgusting uh, that we're letting so many people in and not, not even get tested for COVID. And then, uh, you know, our, our taxes, our money is going to go to support those people. We ought to be supporting our own American people first, our own citizens. I agree. I agree you know, with you, buddy. Yeah. You know, I mean, I always, I always have this question, Hans, um, and you probably can appreciate this being an entrepreneur and having businesses. We all have certificate of occupancies, am I correct? If you open yes. a business, is there yep. a certificate of occupancy for the United States? I mean, we went from two hundred million in nineteen seventy to two hundred eighty-five million in the year two thousand to three hundred thirty-five million currently. I mean, are we destined to become China or India? I mean, do our elected officials seem to understand that people come to this country and they go to specific places, mainly to the major cities and the coasts, because they feel there's the greatest opportunity to make gainful employment there? But my question is a really simple one, and I think you have uh, skin in the game. You certainly have earned a right to have an opinion. I mean, do we have a C of O on the country? Are we going to say at 400,000 people, we can't we can't continue to let people in because we're having a difficult time managing the ones that are in here. First and foremost, and most sinfully, 
are veterans. You know, I, I don't even know what to say about the direction the courses uh, or the course the country's going. And the reason I bring this up to you is because I know you have some time under your belt, as I do. And we've lived probably a similar journey in a different America than we're witnessing today. And I just wanted to pick your brain on what you thought about the border. But, um, you know, I've got to take a break, Hans. I, I appreciate you calling in today. And I would encourage you to, uh, to call back, please, again. Um, I would be curious to know how your project is progressing and also a follow-up to, you know, how you made out getting people to help you put this together in the form of a workforce and financing. So, guys, stand well, by. It seems, got yeah, it, seems we, it seems we're working okay now, but we don't know when we get into the volume. We don't, we don't know, but uh, I feel pretty confident with the connections that I got that we're going to be able to stay ahead of the game. Well, I, I hope you are successful in all endeavors in your life and you find some peace in this journey. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, with an email or two. Just please stand by. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show. And to learn more about them, go to our betweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly. And as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. And as I said, we use them. Instacart. Another interesting concept, you can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home, the comfort of your home. Just pick out the items you'd like. They'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to. Another great concept, very user-friendly, and I'll be honest, we use it also. It's very effective, and they're very, very good. They're very uh, on point. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. We just had two really good calls, and we're going to move on to an email from a gentleman, Patrick, from Lubbock, Texas. Patrick asks, Lou, I'm sure you've seen the immigration nightmare nightmare happening at Del Rio, Texas. Now they're using steel police vehicles miles long to prevent the 10,000 migrants from crossing the border. Abbott blames Biden, but not for allowing this circus to happen. The situation has reached a boiling point. I think it's unfair that my state has to try to combat and clean up the administration's mess. Is there an end in sight, and what is the solution? Uh, Good question. Probably potentially the hottest topic of the day, although we are up to our backside in alligators in many areas. Um, You know, what's so interesting about this discussion is that the administration went uh, months ago, just after the inauguration of, of Biden, trying to tell us there was no problem at the border. Kamala Harris eventually sauntered her way down there, didn't really visit anything to have firsthand optic. And now suddenly Mallorca has come to, I guess, the realization that we have a problem there. We've listened to numerous uh, mayors, one in McLaren, Texas, for example, discussing the volume of migrants coming into his city uh, with the COVID virus. Um, we have a Democratic mayor, I think, who's been highly critical of the president, by the way, as well as those in the news media. This is really kind of interesting because I have a tendency not to want to listen to the news because the agenda is wrong. It's a polarizing agenda driven by their concern about ratings, viewership, sponsors, and ultimately their paychecks. So, you know, I understand the whole motivation there. In reference to this incident going on in Del Rio, the optic They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Take a look at what's going on down there. This has been mismanaged. Answer your question. Your state should not be burdened 
to fix this problem. This is a problem that the federal government created. There's no other way to say this. There's no nice way to say it. And there's no way to lie your way out of this. They are pouring numerous resources into this. As you mentioned, um, Department of Public Safety now has got uh, troopers, Texas troopers, and everybody at this border trying to stem the flow. Um, you know, the question I have is, and I, and I heard this today, that uh, dealing with the how, how humane the, Im- the immigrants are being treated, they're being given food and water and shelter and medicine, so on and so forth. So, by the way, who's paying for that? And I'm certainly hoping that Texas is being reimbursed for any expenditures that they're, that they're experiencing. In reference to your question, any solution in sight? Yes, there is. It's this is a very simple fix. Seal the border. The day after Biden took office, he chose to stop building the wall. He vacated the policy of holding migrants in Mexico. I don't know how dumb we are as a populace, but I'm becoming gravely concerned. And I don't like the political aspect of discussion today because it's polarizing. But I will tell you this. We need to change the way we're doing business, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. I'm having a difficult time understanding what the agenda is of the Democratic Party. I have to ask everybody a question. When they load bus buses and planes and they drop them in cities like Scottsdale and Nashville, Tennessee and other cities throughout the United States, when they get off the bus or the plane, where are they going and what are they doing? Where are they sleeping? How are they making gainful employment? And now the public doesn't think this through. This is part of having an overanalytical brain which haunts me at night. I just keep thinking and thinking and thinking through conclusion. So we're dropping thousands of people probably on a daily basis into various cities and jurisdictions in this country. And I'm trying to figure out when you get off the plane, what exactly you're doing and where are you going? And here's the other big question. Who's paying for this? What I do want to say very quickly is this. I believe in taking care of people. I've done it myself my whole life. My first employment in the roller skating rink, I was a floor guard making sure people didn't get hurt. I went on to work 15 seasons as a lifeguard, saving people's lives at Jones Beach State Park in the Atlantic Ocean. I was in the law enforcement myself. I've been in the community for 49 years. This is not a man that doesn't help people. I've spent my whole life helping people. I can't do it on other people's backs, number one. And the discussion needs to be narrowed down to what we do first and foremost for our children. They're never part of this discussion. Their medicine, their education, their diet, their welfare in general is why I pay taxes. The real stick on this thing is that we have people out here navigating the culture in massive numbers that the Democratic Party would like to pander to so we can get a vote, so we keep giving it away. If you follow this $3.5 trillion bill, by the way, that's coming out of D.C., it suggests almost cradle-to-grave caring for people. That's not healthy. We take care of you, especially as children, until you complete your educational endeavors. And then I expect you to stand on your own two damn feet and walk because that's, that's the journey. You know, I don't understand what we do for people by uh, encumbering them. So... Uh, There is light in the end of the tunnel. Seal the borders. Put in a mechanism that has some sensibility to it. You know, maybe maybe we don't need four places to cross a border, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe we just need two. 
so we can seal the other states' borders to Mexico. You know, I don't understand why this is so problematic or so difficult, except that we happen to have this mentality of having open borders. How does that serve the country? We're having a difficult time taking care of our elderly, our homeless, our mentally ill, our veterans, our children. So let's bring on some more people we can't take care of. What do we have, the cuckoo out of the clock? Guys, we've got to start addressing this differently. I'm not saying close the border where people who are legitimately seeking asylum can't get in, but it cannot be a free-for-all as we're witnessing right now. And the most shameful part of this whole thing is the lie attached to it. In law enforcement, we say it's never the crime, it's the cover-up. So there is a solution to this. I just presented it to you, and um, I hope that that satiates the appetite of this individual who's experiencing this up close and personal in, in his home. I thank you for that email. It was very good, very stimulating, and this is not the end of this conversation. By the way, I did want to say one other thing today. When I listen to people talk about gun control, I just watched our government leave $85 billion in weaponry in a country that we have the terrorist element. I guess gun control doesn't apply outside of our borders. We're trying to figure out how to harness people in this country that aren't a problem, by the way, and at the same time arm and fund the Taliban. Someone's got to help me think through this thing. I, I am deeply concerned as to the direction of this country. 2022, the midterm elections, they are the litmus test. They are the turning point for this country one way or the other. We've got to change the conversation. Civility, decency, compromise. This all or nothing is never going to work, guys. And that's what we're looking at right now. But the worst part about this is the denial of the state of this problem at the border. I do want to close with one quick thing on this topic today. What happened with Cuba? People that probably have a legitimate cause to seek asylum. Hmm. Most of them vote conservative. Maybe that's why they're not in the country. That's just a question. I don't want you to take anything I say as dogma. Okay. I'm not trying to spoon, spoon feed you like our media outlets do. Not all of them. Most of them. Not all the journalists. A lot of them. Go do your own research yourself. Get off your high knees and start to look at what's going on in your country. It's determining the future of our children. Thank you for that email, guys. We're going to take a quick break. I want to thank Instacart. I want to thank Buzzsprout. Uh, I want to thank everybody involved in this production, the producers of this show and the guys that are put this together. Lloyd, Ryan, Gary, Brian, Keith, everyone. Uh, and, and, you know, we're trying to change the conversation and the direction of this country. If I were a younger man, I'd run for politics. I just don't understand why you'd want to be in the politics of this country because it's, it's alarming. I'm Lou Palumbo. This has been Between the Lines. Between the Lines.